Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. I've got one question for you. Are you sweating yet? <laughs> like I said last week, it's been so hot, and I'm still sweating from three days ago. Well, a week's gone by, so I'm still sweating from seven days ago. It's been so... <laughs> So sweaty, so hot. It leads, of course, to a lot of perspiration. So be sure that you are staying hydrated while you are out and about in the garden and in the landscape. Don't let it slow you down, but don't go so fast that you get a heat stroke either. All right? There are still things we can do. We may have to get a little smarter, uh, work at certain times of the day, taking regular breaks. Of course, should always be wearing a hat, should be applying sunscreen, sunblock. As a matter of fact, when I was studying horticulture at UGA, we would go into the field, we called it. We'd go walk around the campus, look at plants. We'd go to the horticulture farm and do things. And one of the professors says, in my class, when we go outside, you will, you will wear a hat. He said, if you don't wear a hat, you will have to give a 10 to 15 page report on melanoma. And then he said, skin cancer is a real thing. And so we need to do everything we can to protect ourselves from those ultraviolet rays that are beaming down from that big ball of energy we call the sun. Of course, that big ball of energy is giving energy to the plants in our garden. And those plants convert that solar energy into food that we can eat, food that we can consume. So, we ought to not complain about the heat too much. We ought to embrace it the fact that we live in a part of the world where we do get great and decent amount of sunlight because we can grow all kinds of things with the kind of sun we get. However, it will all be worth it when we go into our garden and see those bright red tomatoes, those rich yellow squashes, and ears of corn on our corn stalks, beans hanging from those leguminous plants. It'll be worth it. And really, we've been talking about that, about the vegetable garden uh, last week. I'd like to make a few more notes today. So on today's program, we're going to go back into the vegetable patch and talk about a few things. Some are concerning. Last week, we talked about tomatoes. We talked about uh, 
potential diseases they may get, but how to prevent them specifically. We talked about staking because tomatoes need to be staked. We talked about a few ways you can do that. And then we talked about squash, trying to prevent certain bugs, the squash bug, but also the squash vine borer, which bores into the stem of your squash plants, and what you can do to uh, prevent and uh, deal with if they do show up. So today I'd like to continue that, um, but first I do want to start off the program by uh, giving a shout out, saying hello to a listener who came to visit me at the nursery this week. Her name is Margie. She came, she's, she, she said, listen, she was so cute. She said, listen, I, I don't usually do this, but I just wanted to say, hey, because I'm here visiting my daughter and I stumbled upon the program online and, and I wanted to let you know that it's not just folks in your area who are listening. Uh, she's from Eastern Tennessee. And she wanted to let me know that people in Tennessee are listening. So we do appreciate uh, you listening, Margie, and stopping by. And you've showed me pictures of your landscape, your garden, beautiful blocks of color, all kinds of things. We had a long discussion about peonies. Of course, if you've been listening to this program, you know how much I love them. So I do appreciate you stopping by, swinging by, Margie, since you happen to be visiting uh, the Northeast Georgia area. Oh, I will say, Margie said, I want you to know that... You know, your area may be God's country, but ours is too. You're not the only one who lives in God's country. So I said, well, thank you for coming to visit the southern part of God's country, since you are a northern gardener friend. At, well, excuse me, north of us, not, not northern by any means, Tennessee, right? Uh, but I do appreciate you coming down to this part of God's country and... I really appreciate you listening to the program, as I do appreciate all of you who are listening. And if you, I should take this moment to remind you that with all the heat, with maybe the lack of moisture or maybe too high humidity, because gosh, you walk outside, it's like water's just sucked out of your body. There's so much humidity in the air. It's just, ugh, you just get sticky. But if you've got some problems in the landscape, you can contact us at newsoutherngarden.com. You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can send us questions uh, through the website. You can also send us videos and pictures uh, because, like I always say, in this business, a picture is worth more than a thousand words, hundred of thousands of words, because sometimes we just need to see the bloom or we need to see the pest, whatever it is you're dealing with. But our Q&A week will be around the corner because we're already a little over halfway through June now. And of course, we always answer your questions on our Q&A week uh, the last Saturday of every month. And I know, I know that with the kind of weather we've had, there's going to be more and more issues. Me personally, just this week, I had to pull out a tomato plant. Now, this tomato plant um, is an heirloom-type tomato, so it doesn't have any modern hybridization uh, with disease resistance and things like that. It sort of always struggled from the time it was little, maybe. Sort of the runt of the litter, if you will, but uh, it started growing. I put it out in the, land, put it out in the garden. Uh, it was started in a container, uh, but put it in the landscape, and it grew, and it got, oh, maybe 24 four to 30 inches or so and I noticed this week that most of the plant was drying back and there were still it was producing fruits all right it was producing fruits there were some that were ripe some that were more most of them were very green still however I looked along the stem and I noticed that it looked 
uh, water-soaked. The stem and the areas that were still green were water-soaked. And they were uh, sort of blackening underneath the bark, or not really bark, but underneath the uh, outside of the, the stem. And automatically I think, oh boy, this is some kind of wilt. So I didn't ask any questions. I just ripped it out of the ground, um, trying to get as much of the root system out as possible, which is tough with the tomato. But regardless, I do think that that one was suffering from a uh, vascular wilt, which we talked about last week. So there are surely some things that are going to be rampaging through your garden. Uh, I will say right now, with the heat we've had being so dry too, that hydrangeas, if you have hydrangeas, now I'm particularly talking about the ones we Southerners love the best. Of course, that's the hydrangea macrophylla. Now, macrophylla means big leaf, so sometimes we call them big leaf hydrangeas. Otherwise, they are those hydrangeas with the big flowers that are going to be mop-style heads in blue, pink, some shade in between, sometimes purple, sometimes white. Those babies... I've got some at our, uh, at our place, and I think I shared with you last year that I had uh, tr- transplanted them from my aunt's house in sometime between May and June of last year, put them out in the landscape, and I had to water them all the time because that was a terrible time of the year, terrible time of the year to be transplanting, but it had to be done for certain reasons. So I did keep them alive. They grew slowly. Uh, but this year, they've flushed out. They're really looking good, except those poor little leaves are always just hanging down because we have very little rainfall, and that comes along with our summer. So there's probably some kind of problem in your landscape, and we'd love to hear about it, but we also love to hear about your successes as well. So share with us on Facebook and Instagram, just Search for New Southern Garden or find us online, NewSouthernGarden.com, and let's keep in touch. So, talking about, or continuing our conversation from last week about the vegetable garden. Uh, Last week's show and this week's show is not really like a comprehensive discussion on uh, every vegetable that you might be growing, but I did want, I really did want to highlight a few things and... uh, Some of these are more like tips, uh, but some of these are like did-you-know kind of facts. And I hope that um, learning a little bit more about the types of plants you're growing is going to help you grow them even better, to grow them very well. So the more you know, the more you grow, as I've always said. And last week, we talked about tomato and squash. And then a friend of mine who listens to the program said, hey, I, I loved your show last week, but could you... You didn't mention a couple of things about tomatoes that I wanted, I really would have liked to have heard. Uh, He said, can you talk about suckers and high air temps? So I'm going to revisit tomatoes, talk a little bit about peppers and corn, and hopefully get to cucumbers. Uh, But uh, So I hate to sort of backtrack and talk about tomatoes, but since it was a special request, and I think these two topics you will benefit from having some kind of knowledge about. So when it comes to tomatoes, I remember, uh, of course, I was trained initially, before I even went to plant school, trained to grow tomatoes by my grandfather. And he grew them the old-fashioned way. He uh, planted them deep. He fertilized with 10-10-10. And he removed those little stems that he always called suckers. 
suckers. Now, to find this stem I'm talking about, where the sucker grows, what the sucker is, when you look at the main trunk of the tomato, the main stem of the tomato, anywhere where there's a branch coming off of the main trunk, you will see sort of growing at a 45-degree angle right in the crotch of that branch and trunk union, you will see a small-looking branch. And like I said, usually it grows out at almost exactly 45 degrees, maybe a little bit higher into the air. But Henry, that was my grandfather's name, Henry always removed those suckers because he said that they're suckers because they take all the energy out of the plant and they don't do anything for you. So I had been doing that for a long time. And then, of course, when I go to plant school, they talk about the suckers on tomatoes. And the suckers on tomatoes actually can benefit the tomato plant. Number one, uh, it is definitely a branch of the tomato plant. And so it has leaves on it. And those leaves can capture uh, sunlight and make more nutrition to send to the plant or to the fruits on the plant. Now, of course, because they are a stem and have leaves, they are, they are going to be using a certain amount of water and a certain amount of nutrition, but they will also be a source to make them. Then, you also have to recognize that if they're allowed to remain on the plant, eventually those stems will also produce flower buds, those little yellow tomato flowers, and they will bear fruit. So, it's not necessary, like Henry thought, to remove them. But I will say that if you are in the habit of removing them, if you are doing it because your grandfather taught you, like mine taught me to do, no problem. You can leave them on. You can remove them. Uh, just remember that when you take them off, Henry used to use his fingers and pinch them, and that may not have been the best tool to use because it didn't make a clean cut. But when you're pruning any kind of plant, even a tomato, removing those suckers, if you will, you are going to be inflicting a wound. So we want to make sure that we have a clean cut, uh, no jagged, ripped away edges or anything like that. But I did want to just mention the idea of suckers on tomatoes because I know that we've, you may have heard, you've got to remove them. It's not necessary. Uh, but it can be removed with really no detriment to the plant as long as we don't get a disease in that wound. When we get back, I'm going to tell you what you can do with those suckers. You can make a new plant out of them. If you do remove those suckers, you can get a new tomato plant. I'll tell you how when we get back from this break. Hold on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
All right, gang. So let's say that you've planted a lot of determinate tomatoes. Now, last week we talked about determinate tomatoes being uh, tomato plants that produce all of their flowers and set all of their fruit at the same time. Indeterminate tomatoes are those tomatoes that grow tall, very tall, because they continue to grow all season and they continue to produce new flowers for the rest of the summer. But let's say you've planted a bunch of determinate tomatoes and you've picked them all and those plants are no longer productive. You think, well, what do I do with the space in my garden? I'm not just going to leave those tomato plants there because they're determinate. They're not going to produce any more fruits for me. What can I do? Well, before the break, we were talking about the suckers on tomato plants and how my grandfather always taught me to remove the suckers from the tomato plants, rather, uh, remove the suckers from the tomato plants because they sucked all the energy out and all this. Well, you don't have to remove them, as I mentioned. They will produce their own fruits, those suckers. Those are those branches that are found somewhere between the main stem of the, tr- of the plant and a side branch. Those suckers come out at about a 45-degree angle. If you decide to remove them, however, even though you don't have to, you can stick that cutting. It's essentially a cutting, just like you're making a cutting off a shrub to propagate. You can stick that cutting in a glass of water, leave it in a, oh, not a direct sun lit window but somewhere where it gets indirect sunlight for a few weeks and you will start to see little root buds coming off of the stem of that sucker and then you can harden it off which just means introducing it uh, to more daylight hours uh, daylight not daylight outdoor temperatures particularly during daylight, put in it under a tree. You can go ahead and pot it into a a small nursery pot with some potting mix and uh, fertilize it and put it under a tree for a few hours, maybe bring it back in, Uh, do that for about a week, just increasing the amount of sun it gets, just like you would with any of your indoor-grown vegetable plants from spring. And boom, you can plant a small tomato plant in the garden, and you'll still have plenty of time to get a harvest out of it later this season. So, you can make more of your tomato plants off of your existing tomato plants and not have to go through the whole, let me plant little seeds and wait 21 days for them to germinate and then wait six more weeks for them to grow. No, no, no. You will have an almost, uh, you know, eight to ten week old seedling in the form of a propagated cutting And you can use those tomatoes in those spots, those new tomato plants in the spots from older tomatoes that may have bit the dust because they did their thing and now they're gone. Or if you just say you're starting to harvest this week, I brought in a golden tomato. I think it's one of the Carolina gold tomatoes we planted earlier this spring, but that was pretty much the first, yeah, the first tomato that's been harvested in our garden and uh, we are picking some cherry tomatoes. My wife loves cherry tomatoes. Maybe I didn't plant enough cherry tomatoes. We'll find out. But I can always take those suckers off of my tomato plants, stick them in just a glass of water, making sure that it stays clean. You may need to change the water uh, every few days until they start to root. And once that cutting roots, then you can put it in the pot, put it in a pot with some mix, 
introduce it into the outdoor weather, which can be tough because it has been so brutal. Uh, but doing that on a shady porch or under a shady tree is a good place to start. And then in a week or so, you can introduce it into your vegetable garden and it will continue to grow and it will produce flowers, produce fruits, tomato fruits that you have enjoyed from the other tomatoes. So I did want to mention that suckers are not really a problem for the plant. They uh, can be beneficial to a plant. They don't have to be removed, but they can be removed. And if you remove them, you might as well make lemonade when you're given lemons, right? When you're given tomato suckers, you, you might as well make tomato plants. All right, the other thing that uh, a friend of mine who listens to the program said I needed to mention, and I agree, is when it comes to tomatoes, we do need to be concerned with these high air temperatures. The high air temperatures, which have been in the 90s. We've been definitely, golly, it's like 80s in the morning, 90s during the day. And I don't know. Some people come into the nursery, of course. You can find me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, throughout the week. People come in and they're like, well, I've been checking the temperature on my car and it says 111. I'm like, I don't know if I really believe that or not. But I do know when I checked the uh, temperature, oh, yesterday, about the time we were closing, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock to 5, 97 degrees. And of course, it said it felt like 108, which... By the time you get to nearly 100, I think hot is hot, right? But tomatoes, like people, do not love very high air temperatures. Now, they like it warm. They don't like cold weather by any means, but they want to be just right. So when we start to push to several days at 84 degrees or higher, or we're at several days of 69, really like 70 degrees or higher, and we have several days of those kinds of temperatures, tomatoes can start to drop their flowers. We call it the flower drop, because at high temperatures, they don't go through the reproduction stage very well. With that being said, you can have severe reproduction problems when the daytime temperatures are in the 95s, and we're there. We're there. Um, if we get above 100, particularly 104, which I don't know if that's really going to be happening. We'll have to check with our weather guys. But regardless, if we get in that 104 degrees, flower drop can happen in just a handful of hours at that temperature. Now, that is important because if a tomato plant drops its flowers, tomato plant drops its flowers, you won't have fruits. Now, there is something you can do to help counteract that, but I don't know if even this would do much. There is a product um, which is a plant hormone. Now, the plant hormone is called cytokinin. <laughs> uh, but I do know Bonide, which, of course, are the uh, line of products we carry at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. Bonide uh, produces this cytokinin as tomato and blossom to seed. T tomato blossom and fruit set, I think is what they call it. And that cytokinin can really stimulate any plant to bloom more. And that's the idea, is if we get into these very high degrees, we may want to try a hormonal treatment, give them a spray of cytokinin, which the plant naturally produces anyways. So it's not really a foreign chemical, right? Uh, but it does, just like humans sometimes, we have to take hormone supplements Give your plants a hormone supplement. If you're noticing a tomato plant that's just not flowering, it's probably not you. 
It is probably the temperatures that we have. And again, just 85 degrees, uh, definitely pushing into 95 degrees. Tomatoes do not like it. They may start to drop flowers, and unfortunately, you won't have many fruits to speak of. So be on the lookout for that. Like I said, there's not much you can do other than use the hormonal supplement. The particularly Bonides Tomato Blossom and Fruit Set, I believe, is the way they brand it. But it is a bottle of plant hormones. So don't spray it on yourself or you might produce flowers. <laughs> Just kidding. It doesn't work that way. On the note about, uh, before we get to this break, we're coming up on a break, uh, on tomato reproduction. So, you know... Uh, uh, we like the pollinators, we need the pollinators for many crops, but tomatoes are usually one crop that we don't really need the help of pollinators to pollinate our flowers. Usually, a tomato flower, before it even opens up, it's already pollinated itself. So they are self-fertile. You don't have to have any cross-pollination with tomatoes. And that is good if you're saving your tomato seed. Because if you have, say, a Cherokee purple tomato, uh, you can pretty much save the seed of any of your tomatoes and tomato fruits. And you can expect Cherokee purple tomatoes from that seed next year. Anytime we have cross-pollination, you know, that is a concern of like, true to type seed when we plant a seed that we think is cherokee purple we want it to be cherokee purple and tomatoes are very easy to grow many different kinds they rarely cross pollinate because they don't need bumblebees butterflies to pollinate them they usually pollinate themselves before they even crack open well when we get back from this break we're going out of the tomato area and going into our peppers hope you like hot and sweet peppers hang on tight folded for the world to Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. You know, gang, I completely forgot that I was going to tell you, boy, it has been a hot week for us at the Wilson household because earlier this week we realized that our air conditioner went out. It was not working. I was thinking, man, it sure does feel hot in here. We would uh, get ready to go to bed even, take our showers, and usually things are cooler by then. And after the shower, I'm still just sweating walking around the house. I checked the air unit, and sure enough, we had it set to 73, 74, but it was 78, 79, 80 in the house. So I had to crawl under the house, change the filter, which that was a big part of it. I'll admit, it's my fault, it's my job to change the air filter for our air conditioning unit and I I've been busy playing in the garden okay that's my excuse but I cannot let that happen again we were also a little low on Freon somehow hopefully there's not a leak technician 
couldn't find a leak, but he did happily charge us for two pounds of Freon, and I'll tell you something, Freon ain't cheap. <laughs> Just like gas. Actually, it's much higher <laughs> than gas. But regardless, uh, we took a lot of dips in the pool this week and a lot of cold showers to stay cool. <laughs> but I'm glad we got it working. And uh, we really got to do something. You got to do something to not just physically stay cool, but mentally stay cool as we go through these extremely high temperatures. It's just hot. So we got to stay sane. We got to think, look at all the flowers that are blooming. Hopefully you still got some blooming to encourage you. Like all this sweating, all this hot work is worth it. And if you're just joining us today on New Southern Garden, we have been talking all things vegetables. Last week we talked about tomatoes and squash and just some strange and unique facts about them that you may need to know. Especially if you start to see problems. I mean, human beings have cultivated so many different types of vegetables for so long now. And we've got universities and horticulture programs who are studying them, researchers, breeders who are developing new plants that we know something about these things. And so no need to, what do they say? No need to recreate the wheel. Let's just get it into action. And so when it comes to peppers, as we've talked enough about tomatoes, but when it comes to peppers, you need to know that peppers are sort of first cousins to tomatoes. As a matter of fact, tomatoes, peppers, and the potato plant, those are very closely related creatures. Creatures. <laughs> they are very closely related. Uh, they're all what we call plants in the nightshade family, which there are some wild native nightshades that are essentially just weeds. Uh, but knowing that we have weedy nightshade plants that maybe harbor some of the same insects, maybe some of the same diseases that can get on our tomatoes and peppers, it's a good thing to know uh, what kind of weeds may be growing on the perimeter of your landscape or even at your next door neighbor's house for that matter. So peppers can be treated a lot like tomatoes. As a matter of fact, when I plant a pepper, I plant it like I do a tomato and bury most of the plant, most of the stem I put under the ground because Plants in the nightshade family are very good at creating adventitious roots. I hated that term in plant school because it's such a long, annoying word, adventitious. And what I like to think is these roots are adventurous. They just pop out of nowhere. They're ready to take on the world. <laughs> so by planting your peppers deep and your tomatoes deep, same goes for potatoes. As a potato plant, potato vine grows, you can mound up around that stem and create new roots that come adventitiously, adventurously off, <laughs> off of the stem. And of course, with potatoes, you get roots, but you also get more potatoes. Uh, with peppers, I like to plant those deep. Um, they can suffer from some of the same problems like tomatoes. They may get some blight. They may have blight issues. They could uh, probably get some wilt issues. But also peppers, just like squashes and cucumbers, can get the uh, blossom end rot like tomatoes get. 
And remember that blossom end rot, whether you see it on tomatoes, whether you see it on peppers, or whether you see it on squash or cucumbers, the blossom end rot is a, it is, could be considered a disease, but it's not a disease that is caused by a bacteria or a fungus. It is really a disease due to deficiency of nutrients. And particularly with blossom end rot, it's a deficiency of, you probably know it, calcium. Of all things, it's got a calcium deficiency. And just like with humans, if we have a calcium deficiency, of course, calcium helps to build our bones and things like that. But you can take supplements. And sometimes your plants may need supplemental calcium. There may physically not be enough calcium available in the soil for the plant to use. However, most of the time, this deficiency is not caused by a lack of calcium in the soil, but it's being caused by the plant's inability to take the calcium away from the soil. So there may be plenty of calcium in the soil when it comes to blossom end rot. Maybe plenty. Um, but if the plant cannot physically take it out of the soil pull it into its root system and get it into the stem and the leaves and the flower buds, then you will have that calcium deficiency, which usually expresses itself or presents itself. My wife's a PA, so I hear her talk about medical terms all the time. The patient presents with, I think that's kind of funny, but so if your tomato or pepper or whatever squash presents with this blossom end rot, just know that for some reason the plant does not have the calcium it needs. Now we have to determine why. Sure, you can go and grab a bag of lime. Whether you get calcitic lime or dolomitic lime, those are two different forms of lime. They both contain calcium. And sure, you can sprinkle it on the soil. But there's a couple of things there. Just by applying lime today doesn't mean the tomato or pepper or squash plant will pick it up tomorrow because lime usually takes several weeks, maybe even up to three months to really get worked into the soil and be plant ready. The other concern is that if your pH is off, if your pH is off, the soil pH, if it's too high or too low, whether it's too acidic or too alkaline, too sweet, then the plant may not be able to physically take it away from the soil because when the soil pH is off, the soil holds on to nutrients tightly. But when it's in this uh, great range, usually slightly less than 7, maybe 5.5 to 6.5, when we're in that range on our pH scale, then most all nutri nutri nutrients are available. Now the next thing is that sometimes with the weather we've been having, we'll have days where it storms and rains and it stays wet and then it dries out for days and then it maybe rains for a few more days and then it dries out for a few more days. Back and forth with this drying and re-wetting of soil, that usually causes the plants to not be able to take up certain nutrients, particularly calcium. And so it may just be the climate condition, not the fact that your soil is deficient with calcium. So there are a few factors at play. We sort of have to narrow it down. Now, with that being said, there are some products 
I believe there's one called like stop rot or blossom end rot stop or uh, these are products that can be applied to the foliage of the plant while it's in flower while it's in fruit whatever stage you're at and they're formulated in such a way it is a calcium based product but it's formulated in such a way that the plant can pull it in through its green tissues so for a tomato plant and pepper plant squash plant the, the leaves parts of the stem may be able to pull it in and so that's a foliar application of calcium that you can use to hopefully get ahead of the blossom end rot before it just rots everything away. So with that being said, be on the lookout when it comes to peppers, as well as tomatoes, squashes, cucumbers, for blossom end rot. Because I've already talked with some folks who have had the issue. Sometimes we see blossom end rot pretty heavily in containerized vegetables so if you're growing vegetables in containers because remember again a container can dry out over the day and then you re-wet it and you dry out and then you re-wet and dry out and re-wet and that cycle of dry to wet really does prevent the plant's ability from using and acquiring the calcium that it needs so in that situation or those conditions you may try to use a foliar application of um, calcium but it's always a good idea in like January, which I should probably remind you when we do get to January, to go ahead, to go ahead and test your soil. Have your soil tested. Of course, here in our state in Georgia, uh, you send it to your county agent and the county agent sends it off to the soil testing labs at UGA. And in just a few days, they will email you. It's become so quick. Used to, you had to wait for your county agent to get the mail and then your test was in the mail, your, your results were in the mail. Well, none of that is anymore. They send it directly to your inbox. Your county agent will also have a record of it. So if you have any questions, you can always ask them what to do based on the recommendations that the lab has sent. But it's always a good idea to do that early in the year. Because if you do need to change the pH of your soil with lime, uh, which will be adding extra calcium, it may take a good three months so by the time you get into planting season in April, your soil pH is where it should be. And of course, on that soil test report, it'll also uh, give you other recommendations for other nutrients that you may need, whether it's uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrients as well, which calcium is a micronutrient. That just means that the plant needs some calcium, but not in large quantities. The big ones are nitrogen, potassium, potassium phosphorus and potassium and of course carbon oxygen hydrogen which they get through the air and they get through the uh, through water uh, but anything we need to apply other than water you will have a soil report that tells you just what your crop should need like i said it may be a little too late to be changing the ph of the soil because we don't see the effects of adding lime in particular, for several weeks, particularly maybe up to three months. And so you can sort of get a preventative on blossom end rot to some degree by testing your soil early, adding the appropriate, uh, whether you need to sweeten your soil or make it more acidic, because it will take some time, but you still have the problem. You still have the problem of the climate. And you also have that issue of heavy rain and then periods of dry. Dry. Heavy rain, periods of dry. That's one of the biggest culprits for this blossom end rot. Now, when it comes to peppers, 
we're coming up on a break. I don't have time to squeeze this in, but we're going to talk about peppers. And I had somebody say to me, oh, you know that you cannot plant sweet peppers beside hot peppers because it will make your sweet peppers taste hot. And maybe that's true to some degree. But I want to tell you what really goes on when you plant sweet peppers and hot peppers beside each other. Nothing really changes, but there is one factor that might and it may be something you would not think of. So when we get back from this break, I'm going to talk about, is it okay to plant hot peppers and sweet peppers right beside each other? Hang on tight, gang. We will be right back. Hey, gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, that was my Eden Rose Give It A Go button. I love that button. I know that uh, I mentioned Margie, uh, a new friend now. I know that she's been listening to the program in East Tennessee. I appreciate her visit to the nursery. She said, I just want to let you know I love your Eden Rose Give It A Go button. Play it again. She said, I just love it. I said, well, I hope people don't get tired of it because I like to use it. It is very nice to hear your little girl's voice throughout the day. Now, that is kind of funny. We've got two kids now, and of course, one's talking. One's just eight months, so he's, he makes a lot of noises, but he doesn't really talk. But it is uplifting. I, I kind of know what my mother said. Uh, I kind of understand what my mother meant when she said, when you have your own kids, you will understand. And I surely do. So, of course, Eden Rose, the Give It A Go button is here to encourage you when it comes to uh, trying something new in the landscape. Like I tell her, we just have to give it a go. That's all we have to do. Give it a go. So, before the break, we were talking about peppers. And I was going, I alluded to the fact that uh, there's some concerns when it comes to planting hot peppers besides sweet peppers. uh, Some people claim that if you plant hot peppers near your sweet peppers, that your sweet peppers will be hot. But we already mentioned that tomatoes and peppers are in the same family. And so usually, um, tomatoes, like I said, they have pollinated themselves before they've even opened. And peppers are very much the same. They generally are going to set their seed, if you will, before the flower even opens. They will pollinate themselves. There's not a lot of crossing going on. So that would be the biggest thing is that if you plant, I mean, the biggest concern is if you plant sweet peppers near hot peppers, they're going to cross and your sweets will taste hot. So because they don't actually cross, it doesn't really happen. 
Now, in the chance, in the chance, maybe the rare chance that your hot pepper does cross-pollinate with your sweet pepper, the sweet pepper's fruit is still going to be like its mother, whatever it was. Say it was a bell pepper or a sweet banana pepper, whatever. That fruit should still be like its mother. However, the seed inside of the fruit, the seed inside of the fruit is what might produce a different tasting pepper once that seed becomes a plant. All right, and maybe to some degree, if there was some of that cross-pollination going on, when you bite into a sweet pepper and you have a seed in there that was cross-pollinated with a hot pepper, maybe the seed is a bit spicy. It's possible. But really, it is safe to plant sweet and hot peppers in the same row uh, on each side of each other, however you want to space them, without the worry of the sweet actually tasting hot. I would almost call this a old wives' tale, you know, something that we say but may not always be, may not always be true. So with that being said, it's a lot like your own children, right? Um, you won't ever have a child that is just like you, but in the plant world, they can have seeds that produce very similar to their mother like with the tomatoes and the peppers, because they, they uh, fertilize themselves, they sort of carry on the same genetics. In the human world, we do have cross-pollination, don't we? <laughs> we have a new mommy and a new daddy and a different kind of baby. Uh, maybe it looks partly like its mom, maybe it looks a little bit like its dad, but it may also look like grandpa and grandma on either side of the family. And so with that being said, there's no real worry about planting sweet peppers and hot peppers together and having your sweet peppers taste like hot peppers. Let's move to corn. Let's talk about corn. We've got a few minutes here. Uh, corn is a different character, though, okay? You know, tomatoes and peppers, they pollinate themselves. Um, we mentioned last week that squash plants, which includes cucumbers and melons, they do need cross-pollination, uh, at least with themselves, because they have male flowers and female flowers, and we've got to get the male flower, the pollen inside the male flower, over to the female flower where the fruit will be. So it does, those do need the help of pollinators. So it's very good to plant um, some kind of attractive flower, whether it's zinnias or, you know, annuals, could be perennials, coneflowers, something nearby, because that will attract more pollinators to your cucumbers, squash, and melons. But when it comes to corn, it doesn't necessarily self-pollinate, self and it does not need the help of a traditional pollinator. Corn is when pollinated. That means that, you know, we have the tassels at the top of the corn plant. That's where all the pollen is. When you see the tassels opening, you know that the pollen is going to be falling. And then, of course, the uh, flowers that are along the stem, which will be the ear of corn that you and I love to grill and eat, those are the female flowers. And so the wind is the pollinator because it will blow the pollen back and forth, sprinkling it down to those female flowers. Usually, we do not need the assistance of a butterfly or a bumblebee or anything like that. So with that being said, it's very important to plant your corn in big blocks. Now, I don't know, I don't think I mentioned that at planting time, but if you have a long row of corn, a lot of that pollen is going to blow in the wind to the left, to the right, 
uh, but it's not necessarily going to blow up and down the row. So if you have your corn planted in big blocks, at least, say, four rows by uh, uh, however long you want to go, uh, six by six, four by four, whatever, that is going to be more beneficial for setting your corn fruits, if you will, because they are fruits, <laughs> setting your corn fruits by getting the wind to blow across all of your plants. Now, there is a problem with corn, and that is worms. You know, the corn earworms, the, uh, they get into the tips of the corn, and they start just demolishing uh, the corn. And I know this firsthand because I used to work at a produce stand. My first job was working at a produce stand. We had to shuck corn, and then we'd wrap it in cellophane and sell it pre-shucked. You can make a little bit of money that way <laughs> by pre-shucking. But regardless, I'd be opening these crates of corn and shucking these corn, and it never failed. They were always worms right in the tip. Now, because they'd been refrigerated, most of the worms were dead. They were just, just too cold for them. But if you want to prevent these corn earworms in your corn crop, be sure that when the flowers just start coming out, you can sprinkle, sort of peel back below the base of those silks, right? The long, silky things that are coming out of the uh, uh, corn ear. Those are the silks. And if you just... Sprinkle in a little BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. BT is completely organic. It's a bacteria that uh, worms cannot handle. It gives them a tummy ache and they expire. All right, they consume it and they get an infection and they die. So you can sprinkle the uh, BT in the tip. Sprinkle it right uh, into the tip of that uh, female flower, if you will. The ear of corn, what will become the ear of corn as soon as they start showing. And that will stop your earworms, corn earworms, from going deeper and damaging a good bit of the tip. I mean, I've seen earworms all the way down into the length of the corn and all over the place. So with that in mind, you can give that a try and uh, prevent the corn earworms. Well, gang, I know we're coming up on the end of the show, and I'm glad that you've stuck through with us. If you think that you can't get out there in the heat... Just take a bottle of water, take a hat, rub on some sunscreen, get into the landscape. Give it a go. And give it a go. You can get out there this weekend. Just take it easy. Stay cool. Take a lot of water breaks. Sit in the shade under your old oak tree. And we will see you next week on New Southern Garden. I'm Nathan Wilson for WRWH. Hope you stay well and grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.